0: Good morning to everyone. It is a beautiful Sunday morning here in Kentucky. I think the last podcast I did it was a Saturday morning in Kentucky and uh, this day is just as gorgeous and uh, I am really really excited to uh, teach a little more um, and if you've listened to any of my other podcasts you've probably discovered that I right now like to talk about things that nobody likes to talk about and I like to bring up things that nobody likes to bring up. And right now, uh, I feel like that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to continue doing that. And this podcast I'm doing right now is not going to be a whole lot different. Uh, I am going to, uh, discuss something called a history of control, a history of control. And in this podcast, I am going to discuss an ideology in the church that's referred to as spiritual authority. Spiritual authority uh, is seen in many churches as a belief system. And many times it's used as a tool to control the flock, especially in the Pentecostal and charismatic expressions. Other names uh, for spiritual authority might include spiritual covering, spiritual alignment, spiritual government, apostolic authority, apostolic government, spiritual submission, spiritual honor or culture, and other similar, similar names like that. The bottom line idea behind this dysfunctional spiritual authority concept is that every believer upon salvation and during their discipleship mentoring, or learning processes must, in addition to submitting themselves wholly and fully to Jesus, they must also submit themselves and their spiritual lives to another specific person or a church leader. And this false teaching, my friends, this is driven by the cult of personality and a theology of control. And this per- this perverted theology is actually very ancient. Martin Luther even fought against it. But it's also alive, and all believers should know how it entered and how to recognize it and also understand why it still exists in many churches across America. And here's just one of many stories you can find if you do just a little research. I'm going to start with a gentleman. His name was Edward Irving, and he lived from 1792 to 1834, and he was a Scottish clergyman in the Church of Scotland. And he preached in several different churches for many years. And uh, Edward Irving was a highly skilled and charismatic preacher. And there's no doubt that he loved God. He loved the Lord. But he became agitated to the point where it was unhealthy. He was agitated that the church was not teaching and operating in the apostolic and the prophetic properly. So he decided to form his own church. He also believed that the physical return of Jesus was going to happen at any minute and that the church at large wasn't ready. He felt that the church was out of control and he didn't think it was proper for believers to have their own individual one-on-one relationships with God. He believed that they needed covering and they needed boundaries and they needed special alignment through what what he later devised as a pyramid-style leadership concept. And in this agitation that he had, he left his church after a long church-executed trial where his current church leadership addressed all of these false teachings and beliefs. He started this new church and he founded what was later called the Catholic Apostolic Church. And, And when he founded this, he decided to give himself the title of the angel of that church. And then he went on to find six friends, and he commissioned them to be apostles. Now, he wanted to have 12 apostles, but he died before he could get the other six. And after his death, the other six were selected by the first six through what they called prophecy. He taught that everyone in his new church system had to be ready for the return of Jesus, and that this was just around the corner, and that he... And his apostles would be the final, the last, and the only apostles left on the earth before Jesus showed up. Now I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. Every one of them died, including Edward Irving, and Jesus did not appear in the manifestation that Edward Irving thought would happen. Back to, back to what he was doing. While he was the leader of this Catholic apostolic church, he, he invented something called the fourfold ministry. That probably sounds familiar to some people. Now, the priesthood and the government of Jesus, basically the entire book of Hebrews, was not good enough for Edward Irving. So what he did was he reinvented Paul's teachings in Ephesians chapter 4 regarding the gifts from Jesus to the church. What he did was he turned these beautiful gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers into a pyramid style governmental hierarchy or like a chain of command. And he thought that using Ephesians chapter 4 to redevelop the church into a, an Egyptian like government would get the church back under control and would it would get them more prepared for revival and awakening and the return of Jesus. Now this fourfold hierarchy he designed was apostle, and he interchanged that with elder. He also had a prophet, he had an evangelist, and he had a pastor, which he interchanged as teacher. So these five positions he molded into four-folds. And this is where today's false theology of a five-fold government comes from. And uh, let me note that he was not part of that fourfold because he assigned himself as the angel of the church. The other thing you want to note in this was that there were absolutely zero women invited into, involved in, assigned, or given any leadership positions whatsoever within Irving's pyramid structure. So basically what he was saying was, women don't get gifts. So, as I mentioned earlier, Irving died. The other apostles died. The other angels died. And this immature, codependent church that couldn't operate under the Egyptian pyramid controlled by man-made apostles, it also faded away. The whole thing closed down. And this it faded away because there were no more man-made apostles. There were no more angels. There were no more controlling leaders to lead all of his churches and to tell everyone what God was saying for them. The church faded away because Jesus, the king, the chief apostle, and the friend, was nowhere to be found in any of the leadership structures. For them, Jesus was a far-off entity that was on his way. And they believed men needed to keep other men under control and governmental alignment until he returned. So after all of this craziness, the saints moved on and all of his buildings and all of his properties and all of his land were sold and they were leased to other churches or other businesses. Beloved, Over the last 30 years, I and many of my friends have witnessed this exact same thing play out over and over again. Let me fast forward. This fourfold and this fivefold control-based theology, it died off. It died off for many years. It was never even mentioned in any of the churches. And there was little talk of Irving's misguided understanding of the kingdom and the leadership under Jesus Christ. But then, around 1906, the Azusa Street Revival happened. And this was a beautiful revival where God did move miraculously in many lives. But there was also a call by several church leaders after that revival to restore and revive the fivefold government into all the churches. And after a few years, it faded away. And then in 1948, there was another movement. Or a revival, it was called the Latter Rain Movement. And the fivefold reemerged under something called the New Order of the Latter Reign. And this was going to restore the fivefolds and prepare for, quote, the, the manifestation of the sons of God, unquote, on the earth. Under this movement, a spiritual father and a spiritual son theology began to emerge where everyone in the church had to get a father so that they could have a proper covering in order to hear God correctly. Again, this all faded away after a few years, and it wasn't heard of again. And then in the 1970s and 80s, and even into the early 90s, the church experienced several movements. One of them was called the Shepherding Movement, where the spirit of control and manipulation had its shot at the church again. And a new understanding of spiritual families and spiritual fathers emerged, and it was placed back onto the church. And the term spiritual covering was used in the context of the shepherding movement. And its primary context, having the spiritual covering, meant that you were submitted to the authority under another Christian believer. This concept was taken to mean that for a person's spiritual life, and their ministry to be valid in the eyes of God, this person had to be under the direct submission of another person. This could have been an elder or a pastor or an apostle or some older or more mature Christian or some other authority figure. And the idea that a spiritual covering was required was initially developed within the charismatic movement. Today, it's sometimes associated with something called the New Apostolic Reformation or the Hebrew roots movement. Let's talk let's talk about what the Bible says about this. Biblically, saints, every person, this is, you have to know this. Every person is ultimately and personally accountable to God themselves. Romans 3:19, Matthew 12:36. And not to any other person. Consulting with others for guidance Proverbs 11:14 and being humble enough to learn from the wisdom of others and receiving counsel Proverbs 5:11 through 14 those things are commendable we should do that but our approval comes from God and not men 2 Timothy 2:15 2, and no person strictly speaking has the right to declare our service to God valid or invalid Romans 14:4 4. mandating another Human shepherd for our spiritual lives above and beyond Jesus Christ not only obscures our relationship with Christ, 1 Timothy 2 5, but it can also lead to division and problems within the church, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 9. Jesus speaks against excessive earthly authority in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28. Saints, Understand, submission to the will of Jesus is necessary for all people and for any activity that claims to be a ministry. Respect for authority, Romans 13.1, and mutual submission, Ephesians 5.21, and cooperation between all believers, John 13.34, are commanded in the Bible. And relying on the experience and wisdom of others is just a matter of common sense, folks. However, there's no biblically valid mandate for someone to have some type of spiritual covering under a particular person in order for all of our efforts as Christians to be legitimate. No man or no woman possesses the authority to stand as a gate or a block or a hedge or a wall between a believer and Jesus. He even tore the veil. No one stands between a believer and Jesus to provide them with any type of permissions or coverings or hedgings of protection. So let's, let's, let's get back to some history. A few years after that shepherding movement I spoke about earlier, a gentleman named C. Peter Wagner, he decided to do the exact same thing as Edward Irving did. He made himself into an apostle. He made some of his friends and colleagues into apostles, and he decided that the church needed alignment, submission, and government above and beyond the priesthood and government of Jesus. And he created something called the New Apostolic Reformation. He did this to restore the five-fold government. Does all of this sound familiar? Now, see Peter Wagner's theology and teaching and schooling is still limping, limping along in many churches. But believe me, saints are beginning to open their eyes and their ears to what Jesus is saying about this false teaching. Today, the fivefold government hierarchy nonsense, it's been reconstituted, it's been rehashed, it's been revised, and it's been recreated over and over again in many churches and in many very creative ways. But nonetheless, it was and it is lipstick on the pig. It's created and recreated by Irving and other dysfunctional church leaders. Many church leaders to this day try to create spiritual legacies by anointing and commissioning one another into all types of government offices in order to ensure that there's some type of man-made chain of command or some type of spiritual legacy that's controlling churches and controlling people. Let me tell you how it works. One man declares himself an apostle, Then he collects sons. Now the apostle governs these sons and their churches. And this apostle now collects tithes and offerings for himself from those sons in in what's called a spirit of honor. The church leader with this new apostolic father has now purchased a covering and an authority outside their own church. And now what this does is it removes the requirement for any local leadership or multiplicity or any mutual submission, or accountability. And this makes every church leader accountable to no one inside their own church. And this dysfunctional leadership paradigm is a powerful magnet for insecure and narcissistic church leaders. And it's also a repellent to powerful, secure, cooperative, and mature leaders and believers. And the reason this deeply flawed theology always comes and goes and then dies off the reason why this five-fold theology turns into a tool for control and manipulation and insecurity and codependence and dysfunction each and every time is simply because it is not the theology of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. This is not the theology of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4.11, Paul was teaching people about gifts, not government offices. Paul was speaking to a single church, the church of Ephesus, about what they needed to do at the time that he wrote the letter. He wrote this letter 55 to 60 years after the upper room inauguration of the church. Let me say that again. Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians 55 to 60 years after the upper room inauguration of the church. Saints, if Paul were teaching about the foundational government system, that was required for the church of Jesus Christ to operate effectively on the earth. Don't you think he would have taught that just a little sooner? Because the church would have been operating for years under faulty government. The fact is that this church of Paul's time knew God's government as a priesthood. Led by a king. Whose name was Jesus Period Ephesians four eleven reads He himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Beloved, who are the some? The answer is that the some are his priesthood, they're his priests, and he, Jesus, is the one who gives out those gifts. We have to get this deep inside our spirit so we don't fall for false teaching. Jesus gives people as gifts to the church, to his church. He then gives these people gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But he also gives, if you keep reading all the letters, he gives counselors. He gives administrators. He gives financers. He gives hospitality. He gives people with the spirit of grace and many, many other gifts. If we read all of Paul's letters, he speaks to several different churches about several different gifts based on the need at the time. In each of these these specific churches, he assigned key leadership roles to men and women, and he in no way believed that God distributes gifts by gender. Today, we take all scripture to shape doctrine, not just the scripture we feel will manage people the best. In Paul's letter to all of the churches, you'll find more than 20 spiritual gifts Jesus gave to the church. But there's only one king who gives them out. No one else assigns gifts. We recognize and honor these gifts in one another, not by who gave them the gift, but by fruit. Let me say that again. We recognize and honor gifts in one another by fruit not commissionings, anointings, and some bizarre passing down of spiritual legacies. We recognize an evangelist when we experience them evangelizing. Period. And the evangelist does not need to check in with the prophet first, in some type of ranking order. We don't need to check credentials. We don't need to see who one another's covering is. We don't need to find out if somebody has some man-approved spiritual father who can be traced to another spiritual father going back to four generations. Saints, men do not copy and paste. They don't recreate. They don't transfer. And they don't multiply Jesus' gifts. Jesus assigns his gifts all by himself. Let me say that again. Jesus assigns all of his gifts all by himself. And we evidence the gifts in one another by the fruit. Believers who are given these gifts enjoy a kingdom where there's a fellowship of friends. They enjoy a circle of friendship. It's the very last thing that Jesus called his apostles in John fifteen fifteen. If you want to give anyone a title in the church, give them the title of friend. These people operate in multiplicity and mutual submission and equal honor for one another. With no Egyptian pyramid hierarchy required. That, my friends, is the church and kingdom of Jesus. And that's the church that Paul apostled. Beloved, know what kind of theology you're seated in. Know where it came from. Know where it's headed. My prayer is for people's eyes to open, for our ears to open, for people to have liberty and become free, for each and every person to experience the friendship of Jesus Christ all by themselves and to be mentored and counseled and coached and discipled by many people in multiplicity and mutual submission. This, my friends, is the church of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.